today um, I want us to look at um, a bit of a bit of a bizarre passage in the in the Bible, um, and I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you why first actually because just so you know kind of why we're looking at that, that passage. We've had a lot of prophecies as a church recently, haven't we? We've had prophecies about growth. We've had prophecies about growth in numbers, about growth in terms of the spiritual place that we inherit, growth in terms of the influence that we have in the community around us, which is exciting, isn't it? We, all want, we want to grow, don't we? We love, we love to grow. There's something natural about growth, about, um, you know, there's, there's that blessing, you know, in Genesis 1, where God creates man and woman, and he says, now go forth and, and um, fill the earth and, and multiply and rule over the earth. So there's a, there's a kind of inherent blessing in us. There's an inherent expectation for growth. So growth is good. Um, but also, we've been, these prophecies have been accompanied by prophecies about building have you noticed that? We've had prophecies about growth, but we've also had prophecies about building. So um, when Julian came to speak, he spoke, he, he spoke about um, building like Nehemiah, and um, uh, he spoke as well about, about, he referred to the passage that I'm going to speak on, speak on in a moment. And also Ginny, when she came, and she, ha- she brought a prophetic word for, for us about a kind of an extension, about knocking down walls and dust and putting in girders, and there was this, this prophetic call to build. So... Prophetic words about growth are accompanied by prophetic words about building. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's an inherent blessing that we're going to grow, but there's also a responsibility that comes with that in terms of we've got to do something with that. We've got to build something with that. Does that make sense? So um, I want to encourage us today, and um, I want to encourage us that actually we, we need to take hold of these pro- promises about growth, and we need to do something with them. We need to take hold of the promises about building, and we need to, you know, there's a response for us as a church and as individuals. So the, the passage that Julian referred to in his prophecy about growth and about building was a, a passage in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 6, verses 1 to 7. And, and this is, I'll actually, I'll read what Julian said. Julian is, is a prophet. Um, he's recognised as a prophet, someone that we, we recognise as having a significant prophetic gift um, to bring uh, prophetic insight and, and prophetic direction. And he said this as part of the prophecy that he shared with us here at Jubilee when he was here. So get ready, for I am redefining you. For the place that you dwell in, the spirit, is too small. I'm taking you to a much larger space. I'm taking you to a much larger place. And even as the prophets built along the River Jordan, the place of promise... Even so, I am calling you to build with the promises I have spoken to you, for now is the season of fulfilment. And even as the prophets built along the river Jordan, the place of promise, even so, I am calling you to build with the promises I have spoken over you, for now is the season of fulfilment. So so when I heard that, my immediate reaction was to say, well, who are these prophets that built along the Jordan? And that's what led me to the passage in 2 Kings. And um, obviously there's a call there to build with the promises. So I'd encourage you if, you, if you weren't here at the family night, when Rob Rob went through the kind of prophetic history, what God has been saying to us over the years, um, I, I think that, that was recorded, wasn't it, Ruth? So there's, there's a recording you can get. You can listen to Rob's talk about the, pro, about the prophetic words that we've had over these recent years. Um, I'd encourage you to do that because they're essential to, in terms of what we're building with. We've been called to build with the promises. 
But also I thought it would be great to look at this passage in 2 Kings, to look at these prophets who built along the Jordan and say, well, if God is calling us to be like them, it's going to be like when they built along the Jordan, that's what I'm doing amongst you. It would be a good idea, I thought, for us to look at that passage and see what can we learn from them. What is it about what they did that's kind of applicable to us today in Solihull in 2014? How does that sound? Good, I take that murmur, that, that English murmur as a, as a kind of sign of agreement and, and, and enthusiasm. So, yeah. Um, okay, so two, uh, two kings. Well, let's look at the passage then. Two kings, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Some of you have got actual real Bibles. I can hear paper. That's a, um, I'll read it. Okay, chapter 6, verse 1. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan, where we can each of us get a pole, and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. So... Elisha and these, and these guys, the prophets, the company of the prophets, sometimes referred to as the sons of the prophets, who are they? They're this group of, of people with a prophetic gift. They live, um, they live together, it seems, in community. They serve Elisha. Um, they support Elisha. They bring prophetic words to God's people. And um, in, you know, in those days, people received an anointing uh, you know, to be a prophet or to be a priest or even to be the king. Um, or to be a leader in God's, in, in, in God's people. And now, of course, we know that we're all anointed. We're a royal priesthood. We're all anointed. We're, and actually, oh, what I want to encourage us is that we are a prophetic people. We are a company of prophets. You might say, not me. But you are, you are prophetic. If you're a Christian, you're prophetic. Because you can't become a Christian without hearing God's voice. You know, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. That, you know, when, when Peter said, when Jesus said, who do you say I am? And, and Peter said, you are the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, well done, you've worked it out. He said, no, no, no human has revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed this to you. So if you're a Christian, you're prophetic. So I just want to, I'll just throw that one out there. For those of you who might feel like, God, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not prophetic or I don't hear from God. If you're a Christian, then you hear from God. And there's actually, there's more for you in terms of hearing from him and, um, and more revelation for you, but that's just an aside. Um, yeah, so they've got this company of prophets and you've got Elisha. Elisha is, the, the, he's, he's the, the anointing the, the one, the man of power, the, 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 the kind of the, the spiritual leader for God's people, Israel. And he's with these guys, the prophets, and they're serving him, they're working with him. And... Um, and they come to Elisha and they say, look, we're running out of room. This place where we've been meeting, it's getting too small. They're experiencing growth and um, they've got a problem. And if you're a parent with older children or teenagers, then this is probably a, a problem that you, um, you can identify with. You know, as kids get bigger, they get more stuff and there's no room and everyone's on top of each other and it's noisy and you kind of think, oh, I need more space. I need an extra room where I can lock the kids and um, <laughs> with an Xbox and just leave them in there. And 
but yeah, so, so yeah, so they've, you know, the, 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 where they've been meeting, there's not enough space, they're getting on top of each other, and so they come up with a plan. And the first thing I want to say that this verse teaches us is that these guys, these prophets, are participants. They're not passengers in this. They're participants. They're, they've, they're actively taking responsibility. They've come up with a plan. They're not coming to Elisha and saying, what do we do? They're coming and saying, let's, um, let's go to the Jordan. Let's all cut down a, a log and let's make a, make a house together. They're, 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 they're not just passengers. They're, they're participating. They're taking responsibility. And I think that's the first, the first lesson for us from this passage, that we're called to take responsibility and to participate. I feel like there's almost like culturally for us, there's a, there's a fear of stepping on people's toes. It's almost like our culture, our British culture, that there's a, there's a kind of almost spiritual bureaucracy. We're quite a bureaucratic nation, aren't we? We've got lots of bureaucracy, lots of... Um, and not as bad as some, some countries. I've just come back from India, and they really know how to do bureaucracy. But I think it's something that we probably help them with, by, you know, with all the colonialism, but... But we are a bureaucratic nation, that, and, and that can kind of seep into us and spiritually. That, you know, even as, um, I'd say, as a, as a working class person, some, sometimes, when I, I used to be very scared of talking to people in authority, authority figures. Uh, you know, I would, I would seize up, I wouldn't know what to say. It, it, there's almost something cultural in us, that people should know their place, and um, that's a whole other nother issue. But there's, there is something in us. That that's cultural. That we don't like to tread on people's toes. We don't like to overstep the mark. We don't like to um, put our head above the parapets because we live in a culture that likes to shoot people down. But actually, if you look in the Bible, the Bible is full of pesterers, shouters, grabbers. You know, the woman that grabbed Jesus's hem. You know, the pesterers, the, the woman, the story that Jesus told about the woman who goes, goes to the judge every day until he gives up and gives in to her case. Um, you know, shouters like Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, and they told him, be quiet, you know, you're embarrassing yourself. So he shouted, what did he do? He shouted louder. You know, um, there's, I, I love Jabez. Do you know, you know Jabez in the, in the Old Testament? There's this guy, Jabez, and there's a whole, there's a, a genealogy in 1 Chronicles 4, and it's just name after name, and then it gets to Jabez, and it says, Jabez was more noble than his brothers. Why? Because he asked God. He said, God, um, bless me and enlarge my borders. And because of that prayer, he, he was, God says, he singles him out and says, he's noble because he's expecting more from me. And I feel for us as a, as a church that we need to, we need to, we need to embrace that. We need to, they, we, we've been singing about freedom this morning, but there needs to be a freedom in us that we can be those who, um, who can, who can pester, who can shout, who don't feel like, you know, uh, I'm allowed to do, do here, but I don't want to step on people's toes, that there's a freedom for us. Uh, to push out and to shout louder and to grab Jesus and to be cheeky. That's a kingdom culture, and I believe that's something that uh, that that we need to that we need to um, see more and more amongst us. I think there maybe is even a fear of interfering amongst us. Sometimes you feel like, you know, even evangelism. You think, oh, you know, they these people are fine. What am I insinuating if I tell them about Jesus? You know, I'm insinuating that there's something wrong with them or I'm interfering. Actually, the king has sent you. I was really struck by that, that sense of the king has sent us. The king has sent this. The earth is the Lord's. His kingdom will fill the earth. The king has sent us to people. We're not interfering. We're bringing them into the reality of the kingdom. We're uh, connecting them with the reality of the king who loves them. So, yeah, so be, be released, be freed, and um, 
and um, shout, shout and grab and be cheeky. Amen. <laughs> Pardon, I couldn't quite hear that. <laughs> That's right. Shout louder. Thank you, Fran. Um, yeah. So, and also, I wanted to encourage us as well. So, these guys had a plan. They came and they said, "You know, we we can do this. Let we can we can build somewhere." Um, they um, um, they 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 were um, they. We have to know that we're entrusted. That God's entrusted us with the kingdom, and. Um, you know, it's okay to come up with plans. It's okay to have ideas. It's okay to have a go at stuff. Um, you've been entrusted. You don't need. You don't need it written. You know, you don't need it. Don't need God to speak to you line by line. You know, this is what I want you to do. Um, you know, walk to the end of the of the of the road, turn left. Sometimes God speaks to us like that, but you don't need that because the Bible says one Corinthians two tells us that we have the mind of Christ. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. So it's okay to use that mind. It's okay to come up with plans, to have ideas. I release you, church. I release you, church, from this uh, fear of getting it wrong. Okay? The, the fear of getting it wrong or messing up. You're released. Use your mind. The mind. You have the mind of Christ. You've been entrusted. But also we see that these guys, these prophets, although they came up with a plan, they were still willing to submit it to God. So they came, and they, so they came to Elisha, and they said... Look, this is our idea. And, the, and they were presented it to him, waiting for his, his, um, his reaction, to, for, for his, um, what's the word, his, um, his, his response. Now, so, what, you know, they, they wanted him, they wanted him, they, they wanted to submit it to him and uh, get his permission. And, and he, sa- he says, go. And I think for us, um, you know that that's the safeguard. So I, I don't think I think I don't think we are in danger. I think if there's a spectrum and down down this end um, you've got you've got going off on your own, you know, without without kind of any consideration for what God's saying and doing what you think is best. You know that's why in James you've got that verse where it says you know you you should say if the Lord wills if the Lord wills we're going to go this go here and we're going to do that. Because he was talking to people who had made a plan. We're going to go to this city. We're going to make money, and they com- they completely cut God out of the equation. They were they were arrogant, and they were they were actually obsessed with money. They weren't interested in God's um, what God wanted to say about the situation. So James says to them, "No, no, you don't don't do that. You 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 know you should say if God wills, we will go here and we will do that." So you might be down. See, this this end of the spectrum is we're just going to go off and we're going to do what we think is best without any kind of reference to what God is saying. And then this end of the spectrum is complete inertia, where you're kind of waiting for God to tell you which, which cereal to eat in the morning. You know, there's, there's the spectrum. And I, 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 I don't think we're in danger of, at the moment, of, of being down this end, of not listening to God and just doing what we think's best. We're probably, we probably urge more towards this end, uh, as a church and as a, and as a culture and as a national culture. But we need to, but we need to get that balance. And the, and the way we do that is we, we, we use our mind, we plan, we, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we use the, our, our mind, we have the mind of Christ, but at the same time the safeguard is we submit that to God. We come back to God and we submit it to him and we're willing to, we're willing to change our, our direction when, when he tells us, aren't we? And that's the safeguard we see here. They come to Elisha and they submit their ideas to him. And we see that in Acts. Paul, 
you know, there was points when Paul decided he's going to go to Asia, but it said Jesus stopped him and go to Bithynia, and it said the Holy Spirit prevented him from going there, and instead he had a dream about a man from Macedonia, dressed in Macedonian clothes, and he decided God's calling us to go to Macedonia instead. So if Paul had plans, he, he, he knew where he wanted to go, but he was open to being led by the Spirit, and that's, that's where we need to, need to be as well. I know for myself, one time I was... I, um, I was, I was fast, I, I decided I'm gonna have a day to fast and pray. And, um, and so, so, obviously I was fasting, I was praying, um, about, a, about a specific issue. And I felt led to a, a passage in, in Jeremiah of all places. And usually, if, if you, if God leads you to Jeremiah, then there's an inkling that you may be in trouble, do you know what I mean? Like it's, <clears throat> it's one of those books. And, um, I, and I felt led to this passage in Jeremiah 42, where basically the people of God come to Jeremiah, they say, with an idea, they say, we want to go to Egypt. And Jeremiah comes back and says, God doesn't want you to go to Egypt. He wants you to stay in the land. He wants you to build in the land. He's going to protect you. But almost the insinuation is, you're going to do what you want anyway. Why are you asking me? And I was, I was, and that was, that was, that was my heart. I was praying, but I was expecting God to rub a stamp what I wanted to do. And God's saying, well, you're not, you're not actually in a place where you're ready to listen to me. You've made your mind up. Why, why are you praying and fasting about this? You know, it's just so you can say you, you prayed and fasted about it and get my rubber stamp. And actually, that, and, that, and, and that was quite, and that passage really shocked me and brought me to a place where I need to, where I knew I needed to listen, actually, and not be quite so arrogant. So, first point, we're participants. We're not passengers we have ideas, plans, God-given, a God-given ability um, to plan and to and to uh, um, um, God-given ideas. Um, but the safeguard is that we submit to Him for the final decision. And then in verse three and four, we see that um, actually they're not just content with having a new place to stay. They're not just content with building a new building. For them, the building is just a means to an end. They say, they say, one of them says to Elisha, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. So the second point is that we need to stay focused on his presence. That actually, um, the build, you know, the prophecies about growth, prophecies about building, building something, they're, they're not the, they're not the final objective. They're not the final, the, the final objective is his presence and his glory. These prophets were clear about their purpose. So they said, if you look in verse one, they say to him, the place where we meet with you is too small. So it's not just the, you know, the place where we live and meet is too small. It's the place where we meet with you. It's a, it's a place of meeting and encountering God and it had become too small for them. So they, and so they wanted to, um, build somewhere bigger. So that the purposes of God um, could uh, could expand, and they said, "Please come with us." In other words, you know, we're not, we don't really want to go. You know, there's no point going and building a bigger building, a bigger house, if Elisha's not going to come with us. And it's the same for us. There's not, there's, you know, what's the point of having a bigger church? What's the point of having, um, you know, of, of 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 building a bigger church if God isn't here to meet with us? To, for um, you know, if his presence isn't here, if it's not bringing him glory. 
And I, I mean, I think that's our heart as a church anyway. That is, a, that is, that is something that's in the heart of this church, to, um, to, to, to seek God's presence and to glorify um, Jesus is definitely part of our heart. So I think, you know, looking at these guys, these prophets, you can really recognise that in them, can recognise that in us. Church isn't the be-all and end-all, although it is essential. So there are those who might say that, you know, church is um, kind of, it's kind of had its day and, you know, it's, it's all about the kingdom. Or, But actually, church is important. Jesus loves the church. Um, the Bible says that the church will fill all things um, in all ways. That actually, just as the kingdom will fill the earth, the church will fill the earth as well because the church almost is a structure that contains the kingdom advance. And it brings kind of the focus back onto Jesus and it's a place where there can be fruit. So if you look in Acts, you know, at Pentecost, there's a demonstration of power. There's, there's, you know, these guys come out, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues and um, people come, they're amazed, they get saved... And so there's this, this kind of outbreak of the kingdom, but then what comes in behind that is the church. They, they you know, then in the next in the next passage, you see actually then they 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 um, the, the apostles are teaching, they're gathering together to pray, they're building community. And it's the same in Acts eight when Philip goes to Samaria. This kind of Philip, this wild card, he goes to Samaria, and um, suddenly there's miracles, there's people getting saved, and then the apostles have to go and catch up. And bring um, teaching and 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 lay lay hands on people. The kingdom advances, and then it's almost like the church comes in um, to kind of um, to kind of to kind of structure and 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 have a vessel really to contain not to not to contain but to um, to to kind of facilitate um, the, key, the the kingdom and make sure that what's happening that, that the fruits of that are, are, can be seen in people's lives. We see it in Acts 11 as well. You know, the, the disciples that were persecuted in Jerusalem went out across the known world and they ended up in a place called Antioch and they started preaching the gospel to people and there was a church there. And again, the kingdom advanced and then Paul and Barnabas have to go and, and then, and then and bring teaching and bring, and bring structure um, there in Antioch. So what, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, Church is important. The structure of church, what we build is important. It's important for, um, for realising, you know, what God's doing in, in our lives, for, for realising that into fruit. Um, and for, you know, the, we're called actually as leaders to, um, uh, to, 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 you know, the, the, the Ephesians 4 gifts are there so that people can be built up and brought into, be brought into maturity. There's a maturing that needs to happen. But the structure that you have has to be has to be um, has to be stretchy. So Jesus talks about new wineskins, doesn't he? You don't put old wine, you don't put new wine into old wineskins because the new wine will ferment and expand, and the old wineskins have already been stretched and they'll burst, and then you've lost the wineskin and you've lost the wine. And he says, no, you put new wine into new wineskins. What we build has to be stretchy. There has to be room for change. And I think what you know, for us, if we're, if we're, if we're saying we're, we're believing for a season of growth, we're believe, believing for a season of building something, um, we have to see that we're building something to facilitate and support the kingdom. We're not building something that's kind of fixed in itself, um, because otherwise, you know, when God moves again, 
then we'll be in trouble because that, that structure won't work, that structure will break. And actually, it's not just about, phys- you know, not just about structures, about, you know, like how we do life groups or, you know, how we do worship or what time the meeting is. It's not just about those sort of things. It's also about our hearts. So one of the things that Ginny said in her prophecy that has really struck with me, struck me and has kind of stuck with me is that she said, make room in your hearts. It's a period of growth. It's a period of extension. Make room in your hearts. And actually, we don't just need stretchy structures. We also need stretchy hearts. You know, we have to be able to um, be in a place where we can accept people in, um, where, where we're willing for things to change in order to facilitate new people coming in and bringing people into our community. Um, so we need stretchy hearts. So it's just a challenge to us, you know, because it's, it's, change isn't, isn't easy anyway. Um, and, it, and actually, you know, change of the heart is, is, is even harder. So it's a challenge for us. But, uh, but, you know, we can have structure. You can have structure without life, though, can't you? Um, you know, I was just, um, you know, if you, if you ever see like a wasp, have you ever seen a dead wasp on a windowsill? And you have that moment of thinking, is that alive or is it dead? And then kind of poke it, maybe, with a stick or something. And just to see, and it doesn't move. You know, you can have something, and you can have a structure, you know, like it's got that exoskeleton. You can have structure, and it looks alive, but actually inside it's dead. And um, so we need to, we need, we, that's why we, we, you know, we can't, we can't have a structure that's kind of so fixed or... Um, you know, it could be anything in terms of the leadership, how we, you know, the leadership team, how we, how we lead, life groups, the way we do kids work, you know, the way we, the way we do meetings, all of these things, we have to say, you know, none, none of it's, none, none of it's set in stone. It's all, um, it's all, um, it's all open for, for God to say, I want to change that or we need to change this. Otherwise, we become like we become like that 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 dead wasp. It looks we've got that structure, but the, the you know the life has gone. You can have a you can have an appearance of godliness without denying its power, um, but 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 by but also denying its power. So anyway, the pre, the prophets weren't satisfied with um, with just the growth with with a new building. Um, they want they want Elisha to come with them. Um, and he, he says he will. And what does this passage remind you of? Does it remind you of Moses? When Moses says, you know, unless you come with us, unless your presence goes with us, don't send us up from here in Exodus 33. And we're the same. We don't want to go forward from this place without God's presence, do we? We don't want to go forward without God's presence. Because um, ultimately, it's not life groups. It's not freedom in Christ. It's, it, it, you know, it's, um, it's not even, it's not even pr- my preaching. Do you know what I mean? Can you believe that? That changes people's lives. It's not even that. That changes people's lives. It's the, it's the presence of God. It's encountering the living God. That's what changes people's lives. And, you know, um, Moses says to God, don't send us up out of here because nothing else distinguishes us from all the other peoples. That's what distinguishes us. The presence of God is what distinguishes us from all the other groups, you know, from the Rotary Club, from other religions. Um, you know, it, what, what distinguishes us isn't just that we're, we're extra nice people. 
or extra kind people. What distinguishes us is that we have the presence of God, that Jesus is alive and that he is amongst us. Amen? You know, those organisations are great. But actually, only the gospel gets to the root of people's problems. You know, it's, you know, Social action is good, social action helps, but only the gospel really deals with the root of people's problems, their sin. Okay, so, better, better speed up. First, first two then. So, um, the, so the, the second to last thing we see is, um, is, is that there's a calling to greater unity here. So in verse two, they say to Elijah, Elisha, we can each get a pole, or we can each cut down a log, and um, we can build somewhere for us to meet. They're each ready to play their part. They're each ready to cut down a pole. It, uh, not as an obligation, but as a mutual venture. You know, in Philippians, Paul says uh, to the church in Philippi that they were partnering in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. We're not just, you know, there, there are jobs that need to be done, and you, you, you know, pick one. It's kind of, actually, what is God calling you to do mutually to, to serve the church and to, and to be served? Um, Hebrews 10, the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not, meet, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So our job is to consider, how can we spur one another on? How can we love one another more? How can we encourage one another, build each other up? And, and, and not give up meeting together. So coming together, meeting together, in this context, in life groups, in other contexts, um, that's, that's not just, you know, we ha- that's what we have to do. And if we're going to have a Sunday meeting, then we need a worship team. And if we're going to have a worship team, then we need a setup team. And if we need a setup team, then we're going to need a setup down, we're going to need a set down team. It's not just logistics. No. This is, these are opportunities of how, of how we can consider, how we can spur one another on, how we can serve one another, how can we can love one another. So that we can meet together and encourage one another and build one another up. And all the more, uh, Hebrew says, as we see the day approaching. What a wonderful place to be. A place where people serve each other and, and actively consider how they can, they can spur you on and how you act, when you, and you can actively consider how to, to love and to spur them on. So, I mean, I love this phrase that the King's Arms has. They say, um, they say, what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it? So, you know, what is your poll? So I could say, you know, I could say, well, you know, we need people to do this, we need people to do that. But actually, if you do it for me, if you say, well, Steve asked me to do, you know, asked me to do this, or Rob wanted me to do this, actually, you're in danger of falling into legalism. Don't do it for me, do it for Jesus. Yeah? What is God saying to you? What is God calling you to? Um, And what are you going to do about it? Again, that, that sense of what God's calling us to do and that responsibility to build and to do something. Um, and this, 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 this passage as well reminded me of Nehemiah. So we've had lots of, we've had lots of prophetic words about being a, 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 being like, being a church, um, like Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. Um, 
And if you, if you look in Nehemiah, again, you've got, you've got groups of people who came together, just like these prophets, came together with their logs to build something together. Actually, in Nehemiah, you had families working together, and side by side, building the wall, different parts. You had and the Tekoites, the, you know, these guys, this family here building this part. You had Shalom and his daughters building this part. Um, you had... Um, the men of Jericho came to build another part. And then you had people who just, they could just manage this. There was a bit outside their house and they could just manage that. And that's what, that's what God called them to do. And it's that picture of everyone playing their part, doing what they, um, doing what they felt God called them to do, what they were able to do uh, along that wall, side by side. And it's the same for us. As we bring our poles, as we, as we do what we feel God's calling us to do, Trusting him that he's got, you know, we've got our piece of the jigsaw, but he's got the, the picture on the box. We come with our piece of the jigsaw, trusting him. And, uh, and then we work together side by side, and God will build us, well, effectively build us together, because we are living stones, and that he's building us together. Um, um, as, as to be his temple, the place where he dwells. And I just wanted to encourage us, actually, that, you know, when we, when we think of walls, building the wall, we think of bricks like this, don't we? We think of, you know, every brick is more or less the same size and it's placed in a certain order. But actually, you know, walls in, 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 in past days were just stones put together. In, you know, and you find this big, you've got a big stone here and a small stone there and I need a, I need a kind of L-shaped stone for this bit. Okay, there's one. There's, the, unity doesn't mean uniformity. It's not a call to all be the same. What, it's a call to, to allow God to use you, your gifts, your talents, your idiosyncrasies, and to build those together with other people, and to allow him to build people in with you. Because actually, that's the hard part, isn't it? Is being built together with people who are different from you, or not like you, or who don't have the same sense of humour and upset you. You know, all of these things. There's a challenge for us, that actually, we're not looking for uniformity. We don't want everyone to be the same. You know, there's a... Yeah, yeah, we don't want everyone to be the same. We need to, we need to allow God to build us together and, and, to, and to allow each other to knock off our rough edges off of each other. As I'm sure, if you've been in church, yeah, if you've been in church any length of time, I'm sure that's not a, not a foreign concept to you. Uh, okay, and the, 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 um, the, the other thing we see in Nehemiah, actually, is that, is that um, they build the they, re, they build, rebuild the walls, but then it says that actually the city was empty. So they've rebuilt the walls, but the city was empty because they hadn't rebuilt the houses. And actually, I just felt like actually for us, there's a, there's a sense in which God is calling us for, to move from building the walls together to dwelling with one another. Does that make sense? That actually there's a, there's another step for us now in terms of community that we're that we're building together. But the next step is not just to be building together; it's to be dwelling together, to rebuild the houses, to have a real community. Um, I, I've recently been in India, and actually there, that was just an eye opener in terms of community, in terms of living, people living more or less on top of one another. You know, you go, uh, the, I, w- I, w- I, would go in the sh- I would go in the shower, I'd go into the bathroom, shower, it's a, a bucket and a jug, and there's a window at head height, and outside the window is, some, is somebody's ver- like veranda thing, and there's a person there, and you're thinking, okay, how can I cover this up, and you know, it's just, you know, and you come out, and you know, and, you see, and everyone is just, you know, in top of, there's, there's a, there, but there's a real sense of community, there and I'm not what I'm not advocating that we all kind of have some kind of communal living, but um, but actually actually opening our lives to one another, sharing our lives to one another, and um, you know, 
you know, you, you know, inviting people around even when you haven't had time to hoover. This kind of thing. And it's okay. It's, you know, let's not judge one another. And, you know, just opening our lives, um, being honest, being open with one another and seeking real community, really seeking to dwell with one another. But, well, I'm running out of time, so I'll, 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 we'll, we'll move on. Okay, and so the last, the last point, last point, is that uh, the prophets, so uh, uh, verse 5, because we, we, haven't, we haven't read this bit yet, verse 5, um, so, so Elisha's agreed, let's, let's build a new building, he's agreed to go with them, they go, they start cutting down trees, and it says, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my lord, he cried, it was borrowed. Oh, that didn't, that's not right. Oh no, my lord, he cried. It was borrowed. That's better. That's more faithful to the text, I think. Um, The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float, as you do. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached in, reached out his hand and took it. And I just, I was just struck, actually, that in the, in this text here, we see um, God is there in the practicalities. In the mundane of cutting down a log, God is there. In fact, there, in fact, what I, what I wanted to encourage us was, there is no mundane with Jesus. Actually, there is no mundane with Jesus. That even in that situation, God's power was displayed. His supernatural intervention uh, came about. And just to encourage us that we should be those who expect the unexpected. Amen? You know, you look at... You look at, um, you look at you know, the life of Jesus. The calling of the disciples, you know, they were at work, they were fishing. And then, you know, in the morning they thought, well, this is what we're doing, we're fishermen, we're fishing. And then by the afternoon they were following Jesus, yeah, they'd been called. Um, you know, Levi, he was, he was collecting taxes in a booth and Jesus said, come and follow me. His life was changed in an instant. Um, you know, the, dis- the disabled man at the temple that Peter and John pray for, that he's begging, he's expecting money. Along comes Peter and John and then, you know, everything changes. That actually, in the in the in in the mundane, in the normal, in the in the in the normality of life, we we should be those that are expecting, looking for opportunities to see supernatural, uh, the supernatural breakthrough of the kingdom. Building for growth means God breaking out amongst us in a new way, in the mundane, Monday mornings at the gym, in the supermarket, on the bus. And, you know, we're believing for a multiplication of numbers. We're believing for a multiplication of finances, multiplication in lots of areas. But actually, we're also believing for a multiplication in the supernatural, aren't we? And actually, it's not just that we're going to have a few people doing more, you know, seeing more breakthrough. Actually, as a community, as a people, we're going to see an out, a, a kind of a, a, an outbreak of the supernatural, supernatural amongst us. So it's actually more people doing more, not just a few people doing more. And the other thing I just want us to notice here that actually Elisha is um, motivated by compassion. Here, that it's fueled by compassion because the guy says to him, "Oh no, my lord, it was borrowed." That th- this guy was in a predicament. He'd lost his axe head. It would have been a very valuable piece of technology. You know, he would. It was, and, and it wasn't even his. It was borrowed. It would have put him in some, you know, in some dire straits financially. Um, there was another story in, in, in uh, Two Kings or One Kings where actually 
uh, there was a widow and she said, right, because I can't afford my debts, I'm going to have to sell, my children are going to have to go into slavery. I'm going to have to sell, sell my kids into slavery in order, because that's how it worked in those days. You worked off your debts. And so we, d- we don't know what the, what the implications were for this guy, but he's obviously very u- upset about it because he cries out, oh no, it was borrowed. This is a huge deal for him. And Elisha is reacting, he's fueled by compassion um, to kind of step out and intervene. And it just reminded me of the leper, the leper's prayer. I don't know if you know the story in Mark 1, where um, the, the, the leper intercepts Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I know you can do it, Jesus. I know you're all powerful. I know you have the power to do it. What I don't know is if you're willing to do it for me. And actually... Jesus said, and again, Jesus, it says, was moved by compassion. Reached out his hand, touched the leper, who probably hadn't been touched by anyone for a long time, and said, I am willing. That actually, there's a compassion um, that reaches out. You know, Jesus cares about individuals. Jesus cares about each individual um, and their situation. He cares about their, about their, their problems. He cares about their... Um, he cares about their, their situations, whether it's you know financial dystrates like this guy, physical um, problems, whatever people are facing. He cares. He has compassion. He wants to reach out and touch them. He wa- he wants to let them know that he's willing to inter uh, to to to, um, to 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 bring breakthrough. And um, but I think as well though for for Elisha. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, like this idea of throwing in a stick, expecting the iron to, to, to float, that seems a bit stupid. If I was Elisha, I'd think, Lord, why are you telling me to do this? I look stupid. So there was, there was almost like this kind, there's almost like a, there's like a scales. And on one side, you've got compassion for the person. You know, this guy's in a predicament. He needs, he needs supernatural breakthrough or he's in real trouble. And then on the other side, you've got, you've got a sense of, uh, my reputation's at stake here. I'm going to look silly. Do you know what I mean? And I feel for us, actually, that the, the challenge is, I know for myself, but the challenge for us as a church is, you know, we need to, are we going to allow this side of the scales, the compassion, to outweigh that kind of fear, fear for our reputation, fear for looking, fear of looking silly, and I, I feel that's a that's a, a challenge that, that that God would set before us. That actually He's calling us to step out. He's calling us to trust Him. He's calling us to look stupid, uh, but actually, you know, that that's okay. That that's worth it's worth the deal because, um, obviously, you know, because actually that will unlock His supernatural breakthrough and His compassion for people. Uh, Colossians tells us, Colossians 4 says, make the most of every opportunity. And there's so many opportunities I know, I look back on and say, I didn't make the most of that one. I had an opportunity then to really speak up or to pray, and I didn't make the most of it. And um, so I'm just encouraging us, really, as we go forward, let's um, let's not worry about our, ourselves, our reputation, but let's let's be stirred, let's be motivated by his compassion and step out. Okay, I think... Okay. Uh, if you want courage, I'll just say this. If you want courage, because uh, this has been a real encouragement to me, if you want courage to step out, what do you do? Do you, do you have to kind of psych yourself up, slap yourself in the face, talk to yourself in the mirror? You know, there's that advert where the guy was wanting to get a, ra- a, um, 
a, a raise at work and you say, I'm a tiger, I'm a tiger, you know, I don't know if you remember that. Uh, you don't have to do that. It's okay, fine. It's okay, don't worry. You don't have to, you don't have to do that. You know, if you look in Acts 4, the, the, way, the, the way the disciples and the, and, and the people of God did it was there's that they prayed for it. They asked for it. It's as simple as that. If you feel like I don't have the courage, then ask for it. It's just, it's just that simple. It says they prayed. They said, Lord, you're sovereign. You're the creator. You're in control. You know, consider their threats. You know, consider what they're, threat, they're threatening. And then enable us to speak boldly and perform um, signs and wonders. And that's it. That's, that's, it's as easy as that. Ask for it. I'll just leave that one with you. Okay, so I don't know what, what God's saying to you in terms of this season of building. I don't know what you're going to do about it. Um, but I encourage you to seek God. What's God calling you to do? And what's he, he calling you to do about it? Um, you know, we've got, a heart for, we've got a heart for God's presence. We're not, I, we're not just going through the motions. Um, but we need to guard against that and make sure everything we do in this next season, that we're doing it, uh, that, the, uh, that the, end, the end goal is to have his presence, to experience him and to glorify Jesus. Maybe, you're, maybe, maybe the idea of being cemented with other people doesn't fill you with joy. Um, but, you know, just to encourage you to seek God and to trust him, to trust he knows what's best for you and what's best for them. And um, let's continue to expect the unexpected in the mundane, to expect supernatural uh, in the mundane, and let's continue asking God for courage to see his power come.